James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote a letter to the early church to encourage them in the movement of Jesus. These are practical words reminding us that authentic faith is evidenced by love and good deeds, that the movement of Jesus flows through sacrificial love. When the waves of life become choppy and rough, James teaches us how to endure, how to press in, how to seek wisdom and live for what matters most. Because God is still moving through His church, the timeless words we find on these pages are God's invitation to put faith into action and see how God wants to move through you today. you think about it, it really is a miracle that we're here today. And I don't mean like we've had a busy weekend and we finally made it here. That's not what I mean. What I mean is it's a miracle that we're here proclaiming and worshiping and talking about a Jewish carpenter who lived on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago, that the Roman Empire and the religious leaders of that day, uh, they thought quickly and efficiently, they thought, snuffed out his message walked away from the tomb that day, said, we put an end to that. And little did they know that 2,000 years later, in a place called Tennessee, that we would be talking about Jesus. Don't miss that today. I know you got a lot of things going on. I know you're worried about the Titans. I'm worried about the Falcons. We got a lot going on, okay? I understand that. And we can come in and come out and do all that when it's a busy week and, and all that. It's a miracle you're here. The lengths that heaven went to bring the love of God to you, don't miss that. Don't miss that. If you ever doubt that God loves you, he moved heaven and earth to make his way to you. And yes, it's all by God. It's all through God. It's all from God. It's a miracle. But within the context of that miracle, God called men and women to take that miracle and through his power turn it into a movement. And what that means is that there are men and women who literally gave their lives, that their last breath was glorifying Jesus, but they also thought, I hope my life could propel the message forward. Little did they know, as they gave their lives, there would be a place called Tennessee and a group of people at a church called Crosspoint proclaiming and worshiping and talking about Jesus, don't miss the miracle that you're sitting in. That's the good news. The challenging news is that, especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have a stewardship responsibility to them. Yes, we have a stewardship responsibility to our Heavenly Father, but we have a stewardship responsibility for men and women who have given their lives, and maybe not their last breath, but they gave their resources, their time, and their effort to move the message of Jesus forward to you and me. In essence, what they did is they had a baton, if you will, and they took their lives and their resources and their gifts and talents and their story, and they passed it forward to you and me. And as Kevin said last week, it was their responsibility to move the message of Jesus to us. And now it is our responsibility to move the message to this generation and the next. 
It's why what's happening today with all due respect to the adults in the room, and, and I are one, okay, I'm an adult, but actually what's the most important thing that's happening today with all due respect to you and me is what's happening in Crosspoint students and Crosspoint kids. Because what you're doing, for those of you that give here, for those of you that will sit down with students and children, you're taking the baton of previous generations and you're trying to pass the baton to the next generation. It's why, and you've heard me say this before, and I'll probably say it over and over again. In fact, my wife, Wendy, makes fun of me, saying, I think you share this story every time, Jeff. But I, I want to do that to illustrate the, the taking the baton and passing it to the next generation. You know, our services here at Crosspoint are only an hour long. What if the Holy Spirit wants us to sing more songs? What if the Holy Spirit wants the preacher to preach longer sermons? That's good. We believe the Holy Spirit is in here with the adults, but we also believe the Holy Spirit is in the nursery. And our experience is, after an hour, the Holy Spirit leaves the nursery. <laughs> and if the Holy Spirit doesn't want to be there, the volunteers don't want to be there, the kids don't want to be there, the whole thing falls apart. But the reason is, is that we want to connect with the next generation because our responsibility is to take the message of Jesus that has been handed to us and pass it to the current and to the next generation. And what that's called, and why we're doing this series, that's called a movement. In fact, don't miss this. The, the seat that you're sitting in was paid for by someone that you probably don't know. They took out a checkbook, they clicked a button, and they took their financial resources, and that chair that you're sitting in was either paid for or rented by someone who's trying to take the movement of Jesus in their life and pass it forward. I saw it this morning. Wendy and I were pulling in, and uh, I saw um, a volunteer getting out cones. Now, this happened at every campus. And as I pulled in, I looked at him, and I thought, you know what? There are going to be a lot of eyes on me as the communicator today. But there are a lot of eyes that might miss that this volunteer, what this volunteer was doing. But I know there was a pair of eyes, if you will, that was looking right at him. And that was his Savior, Jesus, going, you know what you're doing as you're getting that park, that, 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 those cones out in the parking lot ready for the church? You're taking the message of me and passing it to the current and the next generation. Sir, I don't know. I, I should have stopped and asked you your name, but I also saw Shana Swanson with our staff here with my coffee. So I, I, that attracted me to the, the coffee. So I want to apologize that I didn't stop to say thank you, but your Heavenly Father sees you today, and you're part of the movement. The reason I say all that is we're in the book of James, and we're going through trying to learn what did the early church do to pass the baton to you and to me? And Kevin, as he always does, did a masterful job setting this up. Don't miss next week with Annie F. Downs, and she's going to take the baton and move us further in the book of James. But for my time together today, we're going to pick up where Kevin left off, and I'm going to be in James chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27, I'm going to read these verses, and I'm going to go back through these verses. And what I'm going to pull out today, thanks to James, is we're going to see something that the, that the early church did to move the church forward through God's power and through God's spirit. And my hope and encouragement to you, to all of us today, is that we would practice what we're about to see in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. I'm going to give you some practical steps. Actually, James is going to give you some practical steps that I believe if we will practice this this week in our relationships, 
in our families, in our friendships, in our businesses, in our lives, that it can have an impact and create a movement in those relationships. Movement meaning a change, moving closer, transformation. Even if it's a small step, we're gonna see what the early church did here. But I'm gonna encourage us not just to listen to this, but actually put it into practice. So I wanna read these verses to you. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna dive in and then we'll be done. James chapter one, verse 19 says this. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let me say that again. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So Heavenly Father, as we go through these verses and as we learn from the predecessors, our brothers and sisters of the faith, that someday we're gonna be able to say thank you to in heaven. As we look through this, give us insights, encourage us, challenge us, point out maybe a relationship or a conversation that we have coming this week that we can apply what the early church did to take the miracle of Jesus and through your power turn it into the movement of Jesus. And as that movement has come to us, let us take the baton of the movement our community, our schools, our businesses, and our relationships to the current and the previous and the next generation, like the previous generation did for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When it comes to a movement, and that's what our series is about, there's a principle that I want to share with you real quick. And the principle simply says this: behind every mo- movement is a moment. Behind every movement is a moment. And we've got to be really careful as we move into our days that we don't miss the possible moments that could turn into movements. A movement being, and we could have a conversation that ultimately leads someone to understanding who Jesus is and the movement of Jesus begins to move in his or her life. And sure, not every moment turns into a movement, but if you look at movements, every movement, behind every movement, there is a moment. What do I mean by that? Let me give you a couple of examples. Back in 1955, a young lady got off of her job at work, took the bus in Montgomery, Alabama, and the bus eventually stopped. The bus driver asked her, because of the color of her skin, to move to the back of the bus. She said no. Respectfully, she said no. And in that moment, the civil rights movement was born in Montgomery, Alabama, because Rosa Parks 
decided I'm not going to do that. Behind every movement, there is a moment. And in that moment, that moment began to spread. It spread to a young preacher who had just moved to town, a young Baptist preacher. And the community asked if they could rally at his church. And he said, sure. And he got up. And this young Baptist preacher was named Martin King. And when he stood up and preached, you could actually hear recordings of this message. You could see that the Holy Spirit just invaded that church in that moment became a movement and really turned them in to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Behind every movement, there's a moment. That was a dramatic one. Let me share with you maybe a less dramatic one, but still it was a movement. One day there was a, back in the 50s as well, there was a restaurant owner of a really, really, really small hamburger place. And people loved coming to this hamburger place. But one day he had this idea. Rather than put a hamburger meat in the bun, what if I took a filet of chicken and put it between the bun? And maybe I add a couple of pickles in there. That was a moment. Little did Truett Cathy know that that moment would lead to a multi-billion dollar chicken movement. <laughs> Behind every movement, there's a moment. Or how about this one? This is the last one. There was a man driving to Blockbuster Video. Many of you are too young to even know what Blockbuster Video is. <laughs> but he was really, really upset because he discovered that he had a $40 late fee. That's really how Blockbuster, that was their, really their business portfolio, right? Or business model. We're going to just charge people late fees. And they would not let him out of the $40 late fee. And when he paid that $40 late fee, that was the moment for Reed Hastings when Netflix was born. Behind every movement, there is a moment. And what James is teaching us here is, hey, don't miss out on this. As you walk into your daily lives, there is an opportunity for you to invite these moments in. Not every moment turns into a movement. But if we will be cognizant of how to interact with one another, if we will be cognizant of how to interact in business, in work, in our communities, in our families, we can be aware that there's possibility that these moments of conversation could lead into a movement. Now, you're about to celebrate Baptism Sunday, and I love that. I've been here for Baptism Sundays. They're powerful. But behind every baptism story is a moment of a conversation, of a relationship someone had with them to take the message of Jesus and pass it on to them. And so what I want to share with you is what James is teaching us here about how to be aware of these moments in our lives so that we can put ourselves in a position that maybe, just maybe, this moment can turn into a movement in their lives and in the lives of your community and mine. So the first movement here is simply this. James chapter 1, verse 19, or verse 19 and 20, James says this, point number one. The way that you do this to make sure that you can turn these moments or be cognizant that you can turn these moments into movements is first, quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Wouldn't you agree that our world would be a whole lot better now if we were quick to listen? 
There, there, there's a friend of mine, he, he actually hired a listening coach. I didn't even know there were such a things as a listening coach. What a great country, right? I mean, we got people making a living just listening to people and teaching them how to be a listening coach, right? When I told Wendy that, Wendy's like, you should probably go listen to that. So I, 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 I eavesdropped in to the listening coach that my friend Shane had hired. And one of the most important things I heard about being quick to listen is to ask a question, is to ask a question. And so what you do, this, it's just one thing to say, be quick to listen. Okay, thank you, James. We have to ask the question, how do you listen? I would say pretty much everyone here, you've never taken a course on listening. It's just assumed that you and I know how to listen. Well, that's why I think this listening coach was so helpful. So I'm gonna give you one of the things that he said for free. So you're listening to somebody and then they get done and then here's, what you, here's the next thing you say to them. What I hear you saying is, and then you repeat back to them what you thought they said. I'm telling you, if you're a business leader right here, this point could potentially save you tens of thousands of dollars. And I'm not making that up. Because, by the way, ZipRecruiter just said this. I saw this on a, on a, a survey. The number one talent or skill that companies are looking for is communication. And communication, not just what you say, but the, the opportunity to listen and to make sure that we're all on the same page. So if you're a leader at business, I'm telling you, you go around and you talk to your team about how things are going and then you say, what I hear you saying is, and repeat back to them, just that point of clarity will be absolutely remarkable for that organization. But I'm telling you, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your family relationships, in your friendships, when you be quick to listen and go, what I hear you saying is, it's a game changer. And here's why. I'll pick on me, but I think this might be true for you. Have you ever been listening to somebody, especially maybe a little contentious argument, and you're just waiting to get, for them to get through their silly point because you're about to destroy what they just said, right? Like, oh, you're not even listening. You're like, man, I'm going to drop a bomb here, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a mic drop, and it's going to be over. What's happening in that moment is, you know who we're listening to? We're not listening to them. We're listening to us. And James is like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. You got to be quick to listen, quick to listen. Now, let me, let me ask you, who, who are you listening to in today's world? Who, who are you listening to? It's one thing that James says, be quick to listen, and that's fantastic. But this really opens up, this, this, these three words could open up so much opportunity for us, for the movement of God to move into our lives, and not just to our lives, but through our lives. So one of the things I've shared with my kids and one of the things I've shared with, with younger leaders and really leaders myself is simply this principle as it relates to listening. And that's simply this, who you listen to is a preview of the future you. Who you listen to is a preview of the future you. Crosspoint, who you listening to? Who you listening to? Are you spending more time on social media? Or are you spending more time listening to the spirit and the presence of God? Who you listen to is a preview of the future you. Be quick to listen. Ask good questions. I talk a lot about Chick-fil-A up here, so let me give uh, some airtime to the competition. One of my heroes in the business world uh, is Cheryl Botchelder. You may not know who Cheryl is. 
Cheryl led one of the best business turnarounds in recent years at Popeye's. And when she took over at CEO at Popeye's, uh, they were in not good shape. And so she came over, she, she had a huge amount of restaurant experience. But then she came in and she began to go on what she called a listening tour. She would travel around, meet with her franchisees, and she would ask them this question, when do we do our best work together? Then they would say something, and then she would say, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. It was that listening tour that Cheryl did that began to heal fractured trust between the franchisees and the corporate office. When you and I are quick to listen, you know what it begins to do? It begins to heal fractured trust between the people in our lives and us. Let's be quick to listen. If we just did that cross point or continue to do that, it would be massive. But James goes on. Don't just be quick to listen. Get slow to anger. Or I'm sorry, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Um, I have a friend of mine that says this. When there's something that's going on and, and uh, she's not quite sure how to respond, she goes, I'm a quiet time away from knowing how to respond to that. Not every question requires that you respond, especially in the moment. If we did this, quick to listen and slow to speak, oh my goodness, what a game changer that may be. I love what Andy Stanley says when he said, be more interested in making a difference than making a point. Be more interested in making a difference than making a point. Many times when we're quick to speak, and slow to listen, we're more interested in making a point. And what the early church did is they were quick to listen and slow to speak. And then the third thing they did is they were slow to anger. This doesn't mean that we don't get angry. This doesn't mean that we don't have things to get angry about. The scriptures teach about righteous indignation. There are some things that are happening in our world that we should get really angry about. There's righteous indignation, but we should be slow in our response to anger. Kevin uh, talked last week about uh, name dropping, you know? I don't know if y'all are here for that. Uh, does he really know Keith Urban? I mean, that was pretty amazing. So... Um, <laughs> I'll say that to say I'm about to name drop, okay? So I recognize that, all right? But a few years ago, I had the opportunity to meet um, Ambassador Andrew Young. He was two-time mayor of Atlanta. He was part of the civil rights movement. He was really the, one of the key people and key leaders in the civil rights movement with Dr. King. Uh, he was there the night that Dr. King was killed in, in Memphis. Amazing man. I had the opportunity to meet him. And I was talking to him. Uh, and I said, how did you not get angry? All the injustice, all the things that you saw, your best friend, you saw your best friend killed right before your eyes. How did you not get angry? And here's what he told me in Crosspoint. I've never, I hope I never forget this. He said, Jeff, don't get angry, get smart. Don't get angry, get smart. Yeah, I was angry. But I didn't allow my anger to do, allow me to do foolish things. So he told me this story that when Dr. King was arrested in Birmingham and he wrote that magnificent letter called Letter from a Birmingham Jail, he did not have any paper. So he had instructed Andrew Young to try to bring him toilet paper or pieces of paper so that he could write this massive, incredible letter. But Andrew Young had to go past a prison guard 
to get to Dr. King. And every time he got past that prison guard, that prison guard would insult him, say terrible things to him, make him so angry. But what Andrew Young did over that time to get to Dr. King in the Birmingham jail is he actually became a friend to this prison guard. So much so that he eventually got all scraps of paper to Dr. King to write this massive letter. But several years later, he was in a speaking engagement in New York City, and this prison guard came up to him and said, I know you don't remember me, but I was that prison guard. Thank you for how well you treated me. Don't get angry. Get smart. One of the best ways I've learned how to do this is to write out your anger. Write it out. I learned this from studying the life of Abraham Lincoln and Harry Truman. They would get criticized as a president. They would write out their their response, and then they would burn it. They got the anger out, and they burned it, with one exception. Harry Truman, I don't know if you know this, Harry Truman had a daughter who was a singer, and she sang at a Washington, D.C. event. The next day in the Washington newspaper, they, there was a critic that just blistered her, said it was a terrible performance. Harry Truman saw that article, wrote out his response to that letter, walked out of the White House, imagine this, walked out of the White House and mailed it and put it in the post office and walked back to the White House. The next day, that letter was the front page of the Washington Post. Okay, so be careful. You need to burn those letters, okay? Don't, don't mail them. And I'm not saying we shouldn't confront. I'm not saying we should shy away from conflict. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is, this doesn't say don't get angry, as I mentioned earlier. It said be slow to anger. What's happening in you and me? Because sometimes, wouldn't you agree, we all have stories that we were quick to anger, we were not quick to listen, we were quick to speak, and it really fractured relationships that are still not recovered to this day. And imagine the persecution that the local church was going under when James was writing this. And don't miss this. They had a lot of things they could be saying, and they did say, they preached the word of God. We got all that, but James is saying, hey, if you wanna take the baton and move it to your generation, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, slow to anger, Because when you do that, it allows you to leverage the moments in your life and who knows which moment God would want to turn into a movement. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Slow to anger. But then James does something interesting. He's telling us to be quick to listen, right? Right? And then he kind of switches gears on us. Watch this in James 1, verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So in one case, James is saying, hey, be quick to listen. But then he's like, but don't merely listen. At some point when you have listened, here's what he's saying. Don't miss this. When you have listened, you've gained some helpful information. When you're not trying to be quick to speak, that allows you to be a better listener. 
When you're not slow to anger, you're trying to get smart, if you will. You're trying to figure out, okay, how can I help this situation and turn this moment maybe into a movement in their lives or a movement in our community or a movement in our business or a movement in our relationship. When you do that, you're able to take the baton of what the Holy Spirit could possibly do in this moment and turn it into a movement. Because when you're quick to listen, you get information that you probably didn't yet already have. When you are slow to speak, it allows you to be a better listener. When you're slow to anger, it allows you to see this situation with wisdom and love. And then when you have this information, you're able to act on it in a much better way. Now, what does that look like? Well, to close today, I wanna show you what this looks like. And the reason I wanna show you what this looks like is because this is what you do, Crosspoint, You're quick to listen to your community and the needs of your community. You're slow to speak because as you're quick to listen, you're trying to figure out how can we best bring the message of Jesus to this community. You're slow to anger. And then you make a difference. And one of the ways you make a difference is in the dollar club, which we've gathered dollar bills and we try to serve them into this community. And so to help us close today or move us to a close, I wanna show you this month's Dollar Club. And as you hear Ashley, she's going to ask good questions, but she's quick to listen. She's slow to speak. And she moves forward representing you because Ashley is representing you. And this is what the early church did to move the message of Jesus to you and to me. And now what you're doing to move the message of Jesus to you and to your community. Watch this. Hey everybody, I'm Ashley, and welcome to this month's edition of The Dollar Club, our opportunity to give just $1 and see the amazing things that can happen when we all do good together. This month, we're sitting down with John, who is the executive director of The Bridge House, an organization that is helping youth experiencing homelessness and children that are in the foster care system. John, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to us today. You are the executive director of The Bridge House. What do you guys do here? We're setting up proactive measures so that children and youth that are in DCS custody don't age out and become homeless or trafficked or in trouble with the law. And so when we say that we're doing that, we're saying, okay, well, we're gonna provide temporary housing for them. The second is we wanna provide wrap care for foster adoptive and families in crisis so that foster parents aren't orphaned and burnt out and that they can feel like they have someone that they can talk to, they have resources available, uh, they feel like people know them, they're praying for them, there's community. You have a very distinct vision for the kids and families that are a part of the Bridge House. What is that? We want every child to be in a home where they are loved, respected, and empowered. I mean, that's what I want them, and that's what every child deserves. That family may not have a lot of money, they may look different than another family, but man, if they're loved and they're respected and they're empowered to be what God has called them to be, that's a great vision. My mom and dad, at a a really young age, just showed us that we needed to embrace radical hospitality. We were only living in a two-bedroom, one-bath apartment at the time, but yet I saw my family throughout their entire life, even though they didn't have much, continue to use what they had to wrap around kids and youth that needed help. So it was very normal for me growing up and seeing uh, someone in our home who who was displaced and needed help. Just became who I am, and uh, you know, we ended up fostering ourselves. When you're gospel-centered as a family, and you're like, hey, we're about the kingdom, like we're not gonna build our whole family around like just us, I felt like I was part of something bigger. 
What are some of the statistics that you see with the kids that you were serving here? So the big one that I just read recently through Tennessee Kids Belong was 9,000 kids that are currently in DCS custody and 5,000 foster parents. So when you look at that statistic, you're just thinking to yourself like, my goodness, like what needs to happen to bridge this gap? Right. Because these kids are obviously not intentionally doing this. This isn't something that they said, hey, you know, this is our choice. This right. is something that is happening to them because of trauma that probably their parents have experienced. And so right. this is this wheel that keeps on turning. It typically takes three placements for one foster child to actually find a foster home where they can actually stay. Depending on what their age they're at, they can end up aging out at that point. I saw it with my own brother when he was adopted and we went through that as a family that when he aged out at 18, you know, he still had things that he dealt with in his life because of the trauma he experienced at a young age, but he always came back. Was it easy? No, but you could see like, what if he didn't have that? But when we're able to provide a place for them here, we're saying, hey, we got hope for you. God has a plan for you. Having a place to lay yes. your head that and, is and safe. Play, food, clothing, and have an area of hope to get their mind off their current situation. And then now, this is the thing I love the most, is that they have people that can pray for them. So I don't think anything greater than when you have a child come in and you know their name, and our volunteer says, man, I know this child's name now, and I'm gonna advocate on behalf of them. I think if a child can experience hope here, um, I think they might say, I can get through this. Like, I, yeah. I have something to live for. That's powerful, man. What are some of the needs that you have here? I would say right out of the gate, we need partnerships. Whenever you do good, like in Galatians, it says, don't grow weary of doing good because doing good is hard. You know, there's no way that we can do this on our own. Well, and I know with Serve the City, which we have at Crosspoint, we're really excited yeah. to come and build out this outdoor space. I'm so excited about this. Now we're going to have a basketball court with a privacy fence where kids can play outside. Uh, they can get all their wiggles out. They can, you know, go out there and play some ball. And we're just excited about that because that's going to be huge for their own health. And so this is going to give something for our volunteers to do as well with them so that they can build rapport with them and create relationship. What about financially? Because I know you have how many rooms here in the Bridge House right now? Yes, yeah, so we have two rooms that can house up to 10. Do you think at some point you want to expand and build? Yeah. Is I, that a part of the dream? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is just getting started. And I feel like when this machine starts to be really well oiled and things are operating well, we can start to say, all right, God, what's next? So at Crosspoint, I know that we said that we wanted to share your story at the Bridge House, which yeah. we did. And to be a part of Serve the City, like we are so excited to partner with you guys. But we also wanted to come alongside you in a different way. And at Crosspoint, we have this thing called the Dollar Club, where once a month we ask everybody in the church to throw in an extra dollar, pull that money together, find a need in the community that needs to be filled, and go wow. fill it. And so we have a check for you guys um, for $16,500. What? To help you. Do whatever you need to do to finish out parts of the space, to have things to buy clothes, whatever the kids need. Oh my gosh, dude, that's incredible. What? This is crazy. <laughs> wow. There's so much momentum right now with what we're doing. I remember when we first started doing this, I kept going to God, I'm like, God, what if we fail? Like, what if we're doing this? Like, what if it doesn't work? To be able to have these moments, it's pivotal because it gives us the continued momentum to say like, man, God is in this. The number of kids that this place is going to help just feel loved and accepted and hopefully be able to just thrive. It's amazing what you are doing. Yeah, we're excited. You know what that is, Crosspoint, as we close? It's taking the baton from the previous generation and taking it to your community and going, 
I'm going to steward this. Whether it's um, setting out parking cones when nobody sees me, but knowing that heaven is, sitting down with a student, giving out a dollar, going to serve the city like you did and discovering, oh, what, who is this bridge house? And then showing up and giving them $16,000. That's being a good steward of the message that is entrusted to you. So to close today, I don't want you to walk out and go, what did the preacher talk about today? Forget me, I don't want you to walk out and go, what did James teach us to do? So to close at all of our campuses, I'd love for you to stand up and we're gonna recite these words that James has given to us. Um, I'll count you down, we'll say it together, I'll pray, and then we'll be done, all right? So let's say this, because this is how we're gonna be a part of the movement, part of, there's a lot more. Don't miss next week with Annie. There's a lot more we gotta do, but here's a great place to continue to start. Let's say this together, three, two, one. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Don't just listen, do. May the Spirit of God go with you as you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Cross point, I love you. We'll see you next time. Have a great week.